you take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, today reading, studying verses 1 through 8. Actually, we will back that up. We're going to begin the reading, and we're going to study a little bit more uh, in chapter 11, verse 9, the last two verses of chapter 11. Uh, not because Pastor Andrew didn't do them justice last week, but as uh, I was working on the sermon this week, realized that there is a very close connection between what we read in chapter 12 and what we see at the end of chapter 11. In fact, chapter 12 is often... Uh, understood as a message about what it means to be old. This is one of the best-known passages in Ecclesiastes about, uh, it's often assumed, what it means to be old. Uh, Actually, it is about the opportunities that we have while we're young. One of the commentators that I read this week said that uh, the message of this passage is really aimed at those who are younger, but only those who are older are ready to receive it. And so I'm going to preach it to everybody. Let me encourage those of you who are younger who may be tempted to think that this is for somebody else, to pay attention, to listen to what Solomon has to say to you. And those of you who are older and know the wisdom in these words, pray for those who are younger, that they would hear and would heed the message that Ecclesiastes has to teach us today. So we're going to read Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 9, through chapter 12, Verse 8, before we read this passage, please join me in a word of prayer as we seek God's blessing. O Lord our God, you are good. You have made our youth as well as our old age. You are the one who leads us along every step of life's path. And so we pray that you would lead us in wisdom. We pray that today by your word you would speak to your children, to your people. Teach us to cling to you, O Lord, you who, uh, who keep us. Guide us to yourself. Give us wisdom by your word. Give us your Holy Spirit to receive it and to believe it and to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ whom you have sent. We pray in his name. Amen. We hear now God's word as we find it beginning in Ecclesiastes chapter 11 verse 9. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. Let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart, and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them, before the sun and the light And the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble, the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows are dimmed. The doors on the street are shut and the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails, because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about in the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. 
All is vanity. As far the reading of God's holy and inerrant word, may he add a blessing as we study it together today. Well, it's in that, uh, that famous speech from As You Like It that, uh, that Shakespeare's Jacques uh, recounts the seven acts of a human life. Last scene of all, he says, that ends this strange eventful history is second childishness and mere oblivion. Sans teeth, sans eyes, sans taste, sans everything. Keith Richards sang it more simply, what a drag it is getting old. As long as humans have been alive, humans have been getting older, and as long as humans have been getting older, we have been dismayed at that inevitable downward spiral, that unstoppable decline of old age. We see it happening to other people. We know intellectually that it's going to happen to us as well, and yet I still wake up as I did this morning, surprised to find where these lines are coming from and who made my beard so gray. We are almost offended when we wake up one morning to find that our knees are tight, that our back is weak. We forget the things that we feel like we ought to remember and then we forget that we should have seen that coming. David Gibson writes that this process leaves a person blinking in perplexity at the speed of life, which is hurtled toward its conclusion just as it seemed to really get going. And what a drag indeed. Solomon, who has surveyed every hardship that life has to offer, is not going to leave his catalog of ills and vanities in life without detailing the pain of old age and the opportunities of youth. There are years that once they are lived cannot be gotten back. There are regrets that you can never unravel. There's a lifetime, and there's an eternity, and there's an age of twilight where one fades into the next. And Solomon wants us to use both our youth and our old age wisely before the curtain falls on our final act. Our message today can be structured, will be structured, uh, around three key words that we find in our passage. The first word is rejoice. The second word is remember. The third word is return. Rejoice, remember, and return. Our first word is rejoice, and that is to rejoice in your youth as long as you are able. You can look again at verse 9. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. This is one more of those temporary blessings that Solomon says we ought to be thankful for in our life under the sun. It is, in a sense, the final carpe diem passage of Ecclesiastes where he has told us about all those other things that though they pass away, yet they're good to engage in and to enjoy. He's told us about enjoying married life and enjoying a hard day's work. He's told us about food and drink and wealth and possessions. He's told us about what he called in chapter 5, verse 19, the power to enjoy all these things. Perhaps that's the category where we would put this blessing of youth, the power to enjoy all these other things that the Lord has given to us. Youth is that gift of a quick mind, of an agile body. 
Youth is the gift of the idealism of approaching life like it actually means something, like it's actually going somewhere before the cynicism of old age creeps in. Youth is one of those blessings that makes all the other blessings possible. It's one of the joys that makes other joys enjoyable. And yet you also know that youth is one of the blessings that is most often taken for granted by the people who have it. Being young is a bit like being the parent of young children. When you have little ones in the house, you get the same advice from every empty nester you know. Enjoy it while you can. It'll be over before you know it. They grow up all too fast. They'll be gone too soon. And I want you to know, older parents, that when you say those things to us, we parents of younger children know that you're speaking the truth, and we still don't believe you. (laughs) Right? For parents of, of younger children, from where we stand, we cannot imagine that life will be anything than what it is right now. The parents of toddlers cannot imagine a day without diaper changes and sippy cups. The parents of school-aged children cannot fathom how it happens that the arguments in the home move from basic hygiene to boyfriends and girlfriends. That's what it feels like to be young. It's the stage of life that you think will last forever until it doesn't. Now, it's worth mentioning that youth in this passage is a pretty relative term. There was no idea of adolescence in the Old Testament age, and Solomon is not writing primarily for the teenagers, though teenagers, you should be listening. When we compare the days of youth that he's speaking about here with the description in chapter 12, youth could encompass just about all of your life before that real decline leaves you sidelined. So it doesn't matter if you're in your teens or your 20s or your 30s or your 60s or further than that. So long as you have the ability to to live and to love and to engage in the world around you. This is speaking to you. The time to pursue labor and relationships. This is a pretty broad view of youth and we treat it the same way sometimes, don't we? What's your reaction when you hear the story of a woman that you knew who was in her mid-50s who dies after breast cancer? What do you say? She's so young. It was too early. There was too much left. That's the idea here. This is a broad view of youth. And Solomon is telling us that if you have this youthful energy, if you still have days of hope to look forward to, make the most of it. Verse 9, he says, walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. In other words, make plans. Pursue goals. Enjoy that rush of achieving the things that you set out to do. Enjoy the fact that your mind and your body still have some elasticity to them. Enjoy the experience of youth and not just the payout. He tells us in verse 10, remove vexation from your heart. Put away pain from your body. That is, don't fill your days with complaints and grumbling. The anxiety of trying to fit everything into your very rigid mold. It means dads, don't be the dad who comes home and does nothing but takes out your work frustrations on your family day after day. Remove vexation from your heart. 
It means don't be the mom who can't ever just leave the dishes after dinner and walk outside to watch a sunset with her family. It means don't be the teenager who is so overwhelmed with the fear of not getting into the right school so that you don't get the right job, so that you don't marry the right person, so that you don't become all the things that everybody has always expected you to become. Youth is not meant to be a trial by fire. It's meant to be a blessing. It's a gift from the Lord to make your life sweeter, and Solomon's telling us to take this gift seriously enough to use it, to enjoy it. Rejoice in your youth. Praise the Lord for the opportunity to to engage and, and experience and impact the world around you because it will not always be that way. Here's the irony, actually. Youth is the kind of gift that can only be fully enjoyed when we know that it's going to end. Inevitably, when we forget the fact that our youth, our our young years, have an expiration date, we can fall into one of the two ditches that lie on both sides of this path of youth. One of the ditches on one side is the sin of overindulgence. It's the sense that not only is pleasure one of the good things of life, but it's the point of life in itself. And so for every word of enjoyment that we find here, the scriptures probably counter tenfold all these warnings against the the stereotypical recklessness that accompanies youth. We read of the lust of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and, and the pride of life, and all of those things can be misunderstood and misappropriated as the finish line that we're striving for. And so the message is, yes, enjoy yourself, rejoice in your youth, but don't be reckless. Know, he says in verse 9, that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. There's a sin of overindulgence on the one hand, and on the other hand, there's the sin of underappreciation. This is a fault that normally only shows up after the opportunity to fully appreciate God's gift has already passed. It shows up in the miserable old person who is filled with regret of a wasted youth. They wasted their youth in sinning too freely. They wasted their youth in uh, in working too much. They simply flat out wasted their youth in any number of things that they frittered away. That time of life that they could have been most productive, most generous, most useful to the kingdom of God. And now that time is gone. And they'll never get it back, and the regret just smolders. It doesn't have to be that way. Solomon says, remove vexation from your heart. Put away pain from your body. Youth and the dawn of life are vanity. And here that word most likely means temporary. He's waking you up. He's letting you know. He's causing you to remember that it's going to be over all too soon. Because the first stage of using this gift that God has given to you of youth begins with recognizing that it won't last forever. So here's the first message, the first lesson we find from wise Pastor Solomon. It is to rejoice in your youth so long as you're able. The second word is remember. Remember your creator before it's too late. Chapter 12, verse 1. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. 
You know, youth is a vase of Valentine's Day roses. So long as they're fresh, so long as they're full, so long as they're colorful, they are a joy to behold. And you can do all you want. You can change the water as much as you like. You can put that little packet of crystals down on the bottom. It doesn't matter. The petals are still going to fall off eventually. This is the end of all the strength of youth for those who live long enough to see it. It will come to an end. And so this passage tells of the sad decline, that degeneration. Eventually it speaks of death. Solomon has arranged the poem at the beginning of chapter 12 uh, in three stages. Each one of them is marked off by the word in our text by the word before. You see it in verse 1. You see it in verse 2. You see it in verse 6. Remember your creator before it's too late. These stages tell us the detail, the ravages of old age on a human life. So verse 1, this is the most general picture. It says, remember your creator before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you say, I have no pleasure in them. It's a reminder that days are coming when hopes will fade. Well, there used to be the, uh, the promise of more achievement, of more enjoyment, but all those things evaporate. Days are coming when easy movement is replaced by those dull chronic pains that grow larger as you grow older. It's a realistic affirmation that as you age, your world gets smaller. That the things you can do, the people you can keep up with, the the engagements that you have and the friendships that you have in the world can all fit into a tighter circle the longer you live. And you've seen it happen in your own families. That beloved matriarch who used to write notes and bake treats and sew little outfits to, to, to clothe all the, do- all the dolls for all the granddaughters. And one by one, little by little, all those things fall aside. And life contracts. Painful days are coming. Years where you can't do as much as you used to. Days without pleasure. Days where you spend more time looking through a window than you do going out a door. Solomon's telling you, remember your creator now while you still can before it's too late. Days are coming where hopes will fade. Days are also coming when your body will break down. And this is the the overall point in verses 2 to 5. Remember your creator, he says, before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. Normally after the rain is done, we wait for the clouds to part and for the sunshine to come back, but this is a storm that refuses to lift. And then in light of that that continual storm, the the rest of this section pictures the human body as a once vibrant household. Used to be full of guards, full of maids in waiting, full full of servants, and as this storm descends, the doors are closed, and the work slows down, and the whole household grinds to a halt. Verse 3, it says, the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent. Of course, when you're a child, you believe that your dad can do anything. He can lift anything. Your dad can beat anybody else's dad in an arm wrestling competition. But then you watch the years take their toll. 
Maybe you find yourself guiding the walker down a long hallway as that once strong man shuffles very painfully, bent over and trembling. The grinders cease because they're few, verse 3. Now, of course, in a day before dentures, that was the norm, wasn't it? Empty gums for people who lived to their ripe old 80s in Solomon's day. And those who look through the windows are dimmed, he says. And there are cataract surgeries, and there's macular degeneration, and then there are the trifocals that get a little thicker with each passing prescription. And then there's verse 4. Verse 4, I think, depicts one of the cruel ironies of old age. It says that the doors on the street are shut, and that probably means that your ears stop working the way that they used to. The noise, the din of, of a busy life outside the house gets softer and lower. You don't hear the way that you used to. The sounds of work and and pleasure both fade, so it says that the sound of the grinding and also the daughters of song are brought low. Your hearing is shot. You can't hear the things that you even want to hear, and yet, simultaneously, he says, one rises up at the sound of a bird. Sometimes it's the littlest things that startle your sleep and, and interrupt the slumber that you need when you're older. Then into verse 5, the metaphors begin to be mixed with straightforward speech. They're afraid of what is high. Terrors are in the way. It only takes a slick sidewalk. It only takes one fall to break a hip, to bust an elbow. And there are surgeries, then there are months of rehab at best. He says the almond tree blossoms. That's your hair turning white. He says the grasshopper drags itself along, and so what once used to be light and easy now becomes burdensome. He says that desire falls. For those with ears to hear, there's a euphemism in the passage. The Hebrew text actually speaks of, uh, of the berry of the caper plant having no effect. Well, the caper berry was well known in Israel as, as a stimulant to both appetite and intimacy, and when you're older, there's not much of either. Mere oblivion, Shakespeare called it. Sans teeth, sans eyes, sans taste, sans everything. And all of it is a sign that it's heading toward the end. As he says in verse 5, that man is going to his eternal home. Remember your creator before it's too late. Days are coming when hopes will fade. Days are coming when your body will break down. Days are coming when you will meet your end. This is our final before in verse 6. Remember your creator in the days of your youth before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. These verses present us with a chiasm. Poetic pairs that show us a larger picture. And so, first, the golden bowl and the silver chain are paired together. And these are, these are valuable instruments, precious commodities. They probably represent the golden bowl of an oil lamp where a wick would be hung over the side and, and suspended from a silver chain so he could give light to a palace or, or to a temple or some place where you would have a golden bowl with a silver chain. You know, if that cord is snipped, though, the bowl is broken, the light and the lamp is snuffed out. And then we have the pitcher and the wheel, and they're paired together. 
This time they're not precious, they're the stuff of the earth. Items of wood and clay. But together they're useful. You use them at a cistern, at a well, to lower a pitcher down and to retrieve the water that's so necessary for sustaining life. But if that wheel breaks, the pitcher shatters, and all you're left with is is just a, a dry throat and a useless rope. Then again, both of these pairs, the golden bowl and the silver chain, and then the pitcher and the wheel, both of these pairs are also paired with something else. They represent something earthly on the one hand, something heavenly on the other hand, something precious on the one hand and something expendable on the other. So at the end of life, when the water is poured out, when the light is darkened, he says the dust returns to the dust, and the breath of life, the spirit returns to God who gave it. And so all those breakdowns, all those losses in the human body leading up to this last moment are evidences that the end is not far behind, that man is going to his eternal home. And he's telling us, before that day comes upon you, before the pitcher is broken and the bowl is shattered, Solomon is urging you to remember. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Now, this remembrance is not as simple as being aware of God's existence. It means far more than that. It means faith. It means action. Remembrance in the Old Testament especially is an active concept. When God shows up to work deliverance for his people in the Old Testament, we're often told that God remembered the covenant promises he made to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. When Joseph interpreted the dream for the cupbearer in the dungeon, he said, only do me this courtesy. He says, remember me when it's well with you. Please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh and so get me out of here. When the Lord gives his people the law of Sabbath at Sinai, he commends them to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. See, remembrance in the scripture is about the mind and the body and thinking and doing together. It's one of the ways that scripture speaks of living with the hope of God's promises always before us. And so with our end in view, the preacher's pressing us to hold fast to our maker while we still can. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Remember your creator before the evil days come, before we go to our eternal home. Remember your creator before the days of youth turn to trial of old age. Remember your creator before the promise of youth becomes regret. Remember the Lord now so that when you sit alone in your last days, you're not going to be plagued with that thought, that wondering thought of what would have been like to take God at his word. To believe that his wisdom actually was higher than your wisdom. To believe that his ways actually were better than your ways. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Before the hardships of old age make you cynical and spiteful toward everybody who's wronged you in your long, disappointing life. There are old people who live like that, you know. Not all old age is beautiful. Some old age is torturous, and some old people live tortured lives because they've now come to the end, and they realize that there's nothing, absolutely nothing left to look forward to. Well, that brings us to the final point of our passage. Rejoice in your youth while you're able. Remember your creator before it's too late. And finally, the word in verse 7, 
is return. Know that at death your soul will return to its maker. So chapter 12, verse 7, I believe, is the answer to that question of chapter 3, verse 21. You may remember back then in chapter 3, uh, caught in the stranglehold of the under-the-sun worldview, Solomon said, who knows? Who can guess? What, what is to come next? Who knows, he says, whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. But here we find the answer. The spirit returns to God who gave it. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The dust returns to the earth as it was. The spirit returns to God who gave it. And if that is a comfort for you, know that that is not a comfort for everyone. Because he's already told us earlier at the opening of our passage that for all these things, God will bring us into judgment. Actually, the word in verse 9 is the judgment. For all these things, we will come into the judgment. And so at the boundaries of our passage in verse 9 and verse 7, we find the two halves of the most important biblical truth you will ever encounter in your life. That it is appointed unto all men once to die and then to face the judgment. Well, here's how Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he's done in the body, whether good or evil. Why is Solomon so insistent that we use our youth well? Because he knows that when our youth gives way to old age, and our old age gives way to death, the time for remembering the Lord will be past. The eternal home of man is decided in this lifetime in the span of 85 years, if we're fortunate. Then again, it might be 60, or 30, or 15. And whatever it happens, when the golden bowl is broken, our souls will return to the one who made us, and we will stand before our Maker for judgment. With that in mind, we need to keep our eyes on two very important applications, and this is where we'll end. First application is that God's judgment should guide our enjoyment. Solomon told us to rejoice in our youth, and he's, he's not trying to pull a fast one on us. He's not laying a trap. He's not making some offer with unseen strings attached. God delights when his people take pleasure in the gifts that he gives to them. But those gifts need to be used for their proper ends. Youth is a resource. Just like the time that we have, just like money in the bank that can be spent or wasted. Youth is a resource. It's meant to be used in the service of the Lord. It's meant to be used to bring glory to his name. And the judgment of God will be a fearful thing for people who spend their youth in their old age, pursuing only the things that seem right in their own eyes. And so the time is now. Remember your Creator and your pleasure and your enjoyment. Seek Him with the strength and wisdom that He gives to you in each stage of life. Learn the wisdom of repenting when it is that you've done wrong. Learn the joy of forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Know what it is to have a future ahead of you free from judgment. Better yet, know what it is to have a future filled with the hope of the gospel. This is the second application, that God's goodness gives us hope beyond youth. 
In his, uh, his comments on this passage, Phil Riken recounts his mother's tireless care for her own aging father. The last years of his life, as so many are, and so many do, he lived his years shrouded in dementia. And sometimes he would get so frustrated with himself that he would raise his voice, he would get upset, he would say, I don't even know who I am anymore. And Riken says that in those moments, his mother would calmly reply to him, it's okay, Dad, because I know who you are, and I can take care of all of your needs. And then he ends his passage by concluding, telling us that our greatest hope in life and eternity is not that we will have the strength to remember our Creator, but the knowledge that He will remember us. That was the cry of the thief on the cross who had wasted his youth and his adulthood and all kinds of sin. He knew that he could do nothing to guarantee a future without judgment, but he had faith enough to beg the Savior to remember him when he came into his kingdom. Now the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Getting old isn't for wimps. It can be painful. It can be embarrassing as your body refuses to do the things that you've been able to do for yourself for so many years. It can be heartbreaking and lonely as friends and family members are taken from you one by one. It can be frightening as you face treatments for illnesses. The shrinking purchase power of a fixed income. But for all that aging is and for all the trials that it presents, it need not be the end of hope for the believer. Psalm 71, verse 17 and 18 says this, O God, from my youth you have taught me, and still I proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. This is our hope and our promise. This too is a promise that Christ himself has fulfilled for all who love him. So that even when you can no longer remember him, he remembers you. He promises that he will present you blameless on the last day with great joy. So dear Christians, hold fast and rejoice and remember. The creator of the ends of the earth came down to give you hope beyond youth and death. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we thank you for Christ, our Savior, the one who promises never to forsake us, never to leave us. We thank you that in him all the promises that you have made to your aged saints are true. And you take them as you took Enoch, who walked with you. Lord, we thank you for the work that you do in, in the elders and the the old ones in our congregation, we thank you for the young ones who are here, and we pray that we all together with one voice would glorify our God and Father. You would give us hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Meet us at your table and remind us of your grace and your remembrance, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.